Hey, thanks for tuning into The Scoop. Before we get started with the episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Blockset. They've been a big supporter of The Scoop and The Block for quite some time now. Blockset offers the industry's leading digital asset toolkit. With flexibility, security, and scalability in mind, enterprises and developers alike can get to market quickly and efficiently connect to multiple blockchains from one single source API. Go sign up for a free account at blockset.com and start building today. Stay tuned for more information later in the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block, and I am very excited for today's show. We have Kathy Clay from CBOE Global Markets on the other side of the mic. Kathy, we first spoke, I guess it was almost more than a month ago at this point. Time really flies in these bull markets when we were chatting about your venture into the digital asset market vis-a-vis data. We're going to get to that in a second, but I was just so blown away by the energy and the sort of tenacity of our conversation. I knew that at some point I'd have to get you on the show. You're here on the show. We're really excited to dive into what the plans are over at CBOE, but for folks who may not be familiar with you and your background, you are the Senior Vice President, Global Head of Information Solutions, at the firm, CBOE, is one of the largest equity exchanges in the world. We're talking about, you know, about 30% or more market share, depending on the day, trading volumes in U.S. equities that they're overseeing. Kathy, thanks for coming on. We're excited to talk about the firm's plans, but let's, let's, uh, let's double click a bit about you and your background. Introduce the audience, please. I am so excited to be here and thanks for having me. I cannot believe it has been a month since we last spoke. You're right. Uh, So much has happened both in the digital asset space and just in general uh, that it's hard to believe that that time has actually passed. It seems like it was probably just last week. Back to my background, I actually started my career as a derivatives market maker here on the trading floor in San Francisco, where I'm talking to you from today. And that really was just an incredible Uh, experience, a long career making markets on the exchange. One of uh, very few women at that time in the trading pits, just rolling up my sleeves every day and competing uh, as a market maker in various names over over the years. So I really come from a derivatives trading background uh, where data and analytics and all of that you know, good stuff that I deal with on a daily basis now for SIBO Information Solutions was so germane in the success of, of that trading endeavor. I left um, the floor to begin uh, to run a a small startup here in San Francisco. So this is my fintech angle uh, called LiveVol. And that company was really focused on delivering analytics to the derivative trading community. It was one of the first firms that normalized implied volatility statistics and views in the derivatives market, which is so uh, absolutely necessary for derivatives trader to understand where they should be valuing derivatives contracts. And so I took over as uh, CEO of that company. And in a few uh, years later, I uh, was able to find a great home for that company at SIBO Global Markets. And that's how I ended up joining SIBO uh, and being able to have the great honor of running this division at SIBO, which is really focused on 
delivering those derived data uh, analytic solutions to our end clients who are accessing our markets. Just a quick word about SIBO for those that maybe aren't familiar. We certainly are an equities exchange, uh, but more importantly and more to our history, yeah, we are a global exchange operator in in derivatives and uh, equities, of course, as you mentioned, Frank. We also uh, trade FX. We have an FX uh, team. And so we are uh, a growing both in asset class coverage and in geography, a global exchange operator. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, trading volumes, billions of contracts trading, you know, a day and across several dozens and dozens of stock indexes and, and exchange traded funds. I mean, it really runs the gamut, tons of different tradable products across asset classes. That's it's not some you know, small venue, even though it's not known in the crypto market. CBOE is really at the heart of, of several different markets, to your point. But if we, if we look at the history in digital assets for a moment, right, you know, you guys came into the crypto market in 2017 via a futures product, which you guys ultimately sunset, Bitcoin futures product. And then in a sort of Michael Corleone fashion, you were brought back in to the market just when you thought you were out through data. And this is a corner of the crypto market, which has been red hot. It's almost like every other week we see another announcement of a firm trying to launch an offering or set the foundation for offerings in the data space from S&P Global, rather, to the folks over at SIBO, where you are, and then even our, our rivals over at Coindesk have their eyes on this market through an acquisition they recently made. So let's let's talk about the history then for a second and how we got to this point where uh, you guys have tied up with CoinRoutes to get in on, on crypto data, and, and we can sort of double-click on exactly what that means. And I don't know if your ears were ringing not too long ago, but but obviously the folks at CoinRoutes have so many good things to say about you, Kathy, and, and how fantastic of a partner you are. So let's zoom in on that. How did you guys get to this point? And, and tell us a little bit about this partnership. Great. So Frank, you, you mentioned that SIBO entered you know, really the, the, the Bitcoin future space back in 2017. It was right about that time that I was introduced to David Weisberger and Michael Holston over at, at CoinRoots. And it's been a couple of years that I've stayed in touch with uh, what they were doing and how exciting their business seemed to be growing and, you know, was really looking for a data point that I could sink my teeth into, essentially. And so I heard early on in 2017, you know, when this market was way different than it is today, you know, we're talking about there's very little data back in 2017. It's grown so much in two years. It still has a long ways to go. But I really felt that coin routes was doing something pretty unique in terms of creating a data point that is something that you can foundationally use across an ecosystem of data and analytics. If you take a step back into you know where I grew up in the derivative space, it's very important to know what something is worth. You have to know what something is worth, what its theoretical value is in order to understand you know what you should be trading. Uh, it also feeds your Greek calculations, which then feeds your portfolio risk analytics calculations, which then feeds your margin risk analytics calculations. And so it all comes back to how good is the input data in that whole configuration. And so I guess I 
I approach the digital asset data space with that lens on what what is that data point of integrity that I could feel comfortable leveraging throughout the ecosystem. And it took them a couple of years, I think, to get to where they are today, uh, which is producing a real price, uh, a trademark and patent pending data point in the digital asset space that takes into account the different notional amounts that you can get off on the exchanges. It includes the pricing structures and the fee schedule of the exchanges, and it has liquidity metrics incorporated in it. So it's it's really a high integrity data point based on transactional data in the marketplace, which is different than in the derivatives marketplace when we're looking at theoretical data points. You know, you're calculating a theoretical value using a fitted volatility surface and tweaking that such that it, it makes sense within the context of the national best bidder offer in those derivative contracts that you're trading. But they have the same underlying value in that the real price data from CoinRoots provides a data point that is actionable and high integrity for use broadly within an ecosystem of derived data and analytics products. And so that was really the deciding factor uh, with CoinRoots is I, I really felt like this was a unique data point that, that, uh, that could help bring visibility and transparency into the digital asset market for those clients that are executing uh, in the space. So when we say actionable, what we're talking about is this data has been used to inform orders, trades that are executed. That's exactly right. If you look at CoinRoute's primary business, they're a, a smart order router uh, for the different digital assets to the different exchanges. And so their job is to ensure that their clients are getting the best execution possible across the multiple venues that they connect to, uh, knowing what that end fees will be in terms of where did the liquidity actually materialize for the certain amount of notional that they needed to execute for their clients. And it takes all of the information available uh, and tries to impact the market the least while getting that trade off. And so that is what I mean by the transactionality of this data. It's really coming off of how they're executing orders for their clients. So it's it's highly usable. Mm-hmm, exactly. So when we spoke last time, you broke down the phases that CBOE will be further engaging with the digital asset market. And, and this is sort of the foundation, this this partnership with CoinRoutes. What should we expect and what should we expect moving forward? And what were those phases again, if, if you can sort of jog my memory? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's no different, you know, with this data set than other data sets that we bring in house for the other analytics that we provide with information solutions. It, it starts with having the historical, you know, backfill of the data so that there's a meaningful history that people can access and leverage and use for their strategic needs. And so we're going to be bringing in the historical data sets for these, um, uh, the real price data from CoinRoutes. Uh, and we will be offering that on our SIBO data shop uh, for clients who want to get access to that. And then we'll be um, distributing the real price data uh, down one of our uh, data feeds so that people can get a more real-time look about what is actually happening in the marketplace in terms of where the actionable theoretical value would be for different assets at different uh, venues and different amounts of notional that needs to get executed. And 
one of the great things about this data set, it is highly customizable. So, you know, if, you know, we all know that if you're going into the market to get, you know, one Bitcoin executed, that's a much different price point potentially than getting five or 20 or 50 Bitcoins off in the marketplace. And so another great thing about this, this data set is that it, it can be used in very customizable ways. So clients can really get to that, that data point, that actionable data point that they need in order to facilitate their workflow. So we will be distributing different variations of the real price data on our data feed. We will be, for example, distributing the one Bitcoin a real price, the five Bitcoin real price, the 20 Bitcoin real price, et cetera. And we'll be doing this across many of the digital uh, asset pairs that they uh, sponsor. So that's going to be the next step. And then we'll we'll see about the further down ecosystem of potentially you know, creating some indices for clients to license or to use, or just to, to understand how to potentially think strategically about combining digital assets in index compilations you could even think about creative indices that reflect portfolio allocations with digital assets as a component. One of the indices that I'm pretty sure your viewers, I mean, your uh, listeners will know about is the uh, VIX index that SIBO produces. This is the volatility uh, index. It's widely accepted as the uh, benchmark for equity of volatility uh, here uh, domestically. And so it's not, it's not lost upon us that this is a new asset class. Volatility, we viewed as an asset class very early on. And so bringing this real price data in for the, the creation and the calculation of, of indices uh, falls very much in line with what, uh, how we think about educating the investing sphere and also giving people some idea about how to construct portfolios with crypto. There's a lot to unpack here. The potentiality of indexes down the road and even tradable products tied to the volatility of Bitcoin is something that's really interesting and has been a topic of conversation among options traders in, in Bitcoin and beyond for quite some time. But I want to focus real quick just for a few more moments on exactly what's happening right now in the present moment, right? This sort of licensing of coin routes data to your customers sort of opens the door to the folks already engaging with CBOE to then have access to this new data. So I'm curious, you know, we, we've only been at this for a few weeks, but what has the interest looked like and what are some of the ways maybe clients are using this data that that's surprising you? Are they actually using it to maybe trade Bitcoin for the first time or is it more at an exploratory phase? Right now, the, the the use case for for real price is really on the end for the executing client, whether that's a a prime brokerage desk or an OTC desk or you know someone who's accessing the coin routes uh, order order uh, execution management system, and they're able to see this this data point as a barometer for where they are likely to get filled in the marketplace, and so that's that's happening now through coin routes and. We're just beginning to work with them to create the ecosystem around that in the ways that, that I you know, just laid out. I will say that it's, it's, it's very much in our wheelhouse to understand how the end traders and those in the ecosystem that use market data and these types of important market data points uh, will be using uh, data, data like this. 
You know, for example, I mentioned in the derivative space, the theoretical values that are so important for traders, uh, for risk managers, for the whole ecosystem to understand and better analyze their risk. You know, that that is something that is desperately needed in the digital asset space for people to actually know where they should be able to execute a certain notional of, of digital asset. I mean, if you take the last week, Frank, which has been an amazing week in, in the digital asset space, the volatility uh, really is significant and, and something to watch. And it really reminds me when I was a derivatives trader back in the late 90s, trading the internet stocks uh, back then that were really volatile. I remember standing in a pit where I was the lead market maker for Netscape and DoubleClick. And you can imagine back then there was very little data available to understand where the derivatives, the options listed on those underlines should be priced and traded. You know, there just wasn't a history of historical volatility that could be, you know, adequately used in the pricing models for options. And so where should implied volatility be? Like who knew? Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember standing in the pit one day when brokers would come in and ask for my market in a certain series on Netscape. And I would give them, let's say, I'd say it's two, two bid at two and a half. And they would say, all right, I'll buy them at two and a half. And I would be like, oh my gosh, my, the volatility is way too low. And you'd make a new market and they'd keep buying. And by the time you moved your market up where you thought maybe this is where the volatility should be, now they're coming back in and selling your bid because you got your vol too high. So these data points that actually help you navigate what uh, an option is worth, what an asset class is, is worth, that is super helpful for the entire ecosystem of that asset class. Because without that transparency, you know, what happens is people stop participating because they just don't know where the true price is and where they should be getting executed. And nobody likes to feel like they're getting picked off. We, we used to call it, if somebody came in and paid our offer, we called it the ding of indignity because we probably knew we had priced it wrong at that particular point. And so all of the things we try to do at Information Solutions is to help folks navigate the market with better uh, data, with better ways to see their risk. And that can only help this asset class. That can only help subdue some of the volatility because the more information that you bring in, the more information that you surround you know, in the, in the trading environment, the better the ecosystem becomes, the stronger it becomes. And so we're really looking forward to doing what we know how to do in equities and derivatives and bringing it to this asset class. When you have that added transparency around the data in the underlying that has profound impact on trading in derivatives that sit on top of that market. And so we have in crypto an options market, a futures market, whether it's perpetuals or others, that's growing at a breakneck speed. And so I, I wonder with the introduction of more transparent data in the underlining, what that would mean then for the options that sit on top of that and the folks that are playing with vol on top of this market, if it will then either bring more participants to those markets or expand volumes, expand OI. Is this something that you're thinking about? Absolutely. The introduction of tools that help people better access and trade the market are always um, additive and not negative. Um, one of the, and my team knows I talk about this a lot because it really is our core mission, but one of the analogies I use in terms of bringing tools to uh, traders and anybody who's participating in the market to better see what's happening is, if you think about 
if you're hiking in the woods and you get lost, there's that old adage that you should just stop walking, just stop walking because you shouldn't do anything more if you're lost in the woods. And I, I liken that to what happens in the marketplace. It doesn't matter what asset class, every market has their dislocations, but when markets become dislocated, uh, and I liken that to being lost in the woods because you don't know what your risk is. You don't know what your position is. Sometimes you don't know what your capital allocations are. And so everybody just kind of freezes in those moments of market dislocation. Mm -hmm. When we bring tools to help people really understand where things should be priced, what the risk really is, where your capital is being used and how to efficiently adjust that if necessary, the dislocations become less severe. Because everybody can see better what's happening in those times of great volatility. And we believe the same thing will happen in digital assets, that as we feed the ecosystem with great analytics and great data points, and people can really get their head around what it all means, we'll see the market behaving uh, more tamely in the future. And that's really the goal, because nobody benefits uh, from periods of dislocation. Like, really, it's, it's very disruptive to the ecosystem. And by the way... You know, if we're all looking for an ETF or other products to eventually get listed, these these things matter. These data points about volatility, about liquidity available uh, for the creation and redemption components of ETFs, these things matter for the ecosystem. And so we really are, are very, you know, dedicated to trying to bring what we know how to do best to this, to this asset class. This is something that we were examining just the other day here at The Block. Um, Coinbase started to diverge from the broader market, and we saw them trading at about a 1.8% discount to the best bid at the mm -hmm. time. These dislocations aren't as common as they were back in 2017, obviously, when, when sometimes, I mean, the price of Bitcoin was trading at a $1,000 premium on certain exchanges in Asia relative to those here, maybe in the U.S., so regardless of that, 1.8% is significant. And so we're still seeing it. And I'm curious, what, when you see stuff like that, to what degree does it impact the appetite for either institutional investors to trade the underlying or some of your clients to feel confident in launching index products that are to some degree based on the pricing from these various exchanges? Yeah, that, that particular incident, Frank, that you're talking about reminded me of the uh, options marketplace before intermarket linkage, where you would actually, there was four exchanges at the time, SIBO, uh, Amex, uh, Philly, and, and Pecoast. And they introduced multiple listing of all of these different underlines. So it used to be that IBM, for example, only traded on SIBO uh, and Compaq computers only traded on Pecoast and et cetera. And that was the, that was the game until it wasn't. And then with multi-listing came exactly what you're talking about, which is times in the market where uh, you have the same underlying. In your example, you know, the underlying is, is, is Bitcoin and it, it had a 1.8 uh, discount, uh, percent discount on, on Coinbase. We would, we would have often markets on the same underlying priced differently on different exchanges such that it introduced an entire new trader community. They were called SOS Bandits. And their whole existence, you know, was predicated on the idea that they would buy the, the market that was underpriced and, and simultaneously arbitrage another market that was overpriced. So they would just take the difference in the crossed market uh, on those derivative contracts. And, you know, there was some painful times because there was, you know, liquidity 
providers, those that were committing capital to those markets, could easily get picked off by these SOS bandits. So it's not helpful, you know, to necessarily have that sort of free arbitrage. That's good for the SOS bandits. <laughs> well, guess what? They're not around anymore, or maybe they've moved <laughs> to the crypto market. <laughs> yeah. More likely, right? But those things get flushed out as a market matures. We, you know, when, when marketplaces realize that that type of activity is not necessarily good for the marketplace in the long term, there are certain things that get implemented uh, that help free the system of that type of, of trading behavior. And that will come in the derivative space in some fashion. The first step until anything like intermarket linkage ever happens is these data points that we're talking about today, which are to say, how do I know what something is worth and how can I trust you know, where I really should be able to execute in the marketplace? That's, that's really the starting data point. So people have some confidence around what's happening to price in times of market dislocation. So that's exactly why this data point is really relevant in that conversation, because it starts solving for some of that uncertainty about what is this really So, so basically, basically the point here is, you know, we're going to have this, this degree of dislocation happen across some of these venues, but at the very least, here's a a feed which you can you can trust and 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 then feel comfortable basing some sort of product on top of that feed. Exactly. If you're a listener of the scoop or follow the block, then you know I am super excited about the future of crypto adoption, especially on the enterprise side. Our sponsor, Blockset, is not only helping to push development at the grassroots level with their multi-chain API, but also at the institutional level. Blockset is built by BRD, the first crypto wallet in the App Store from 2014, and one of the largest in the space today. They've taken the architecture and the knowledge they've gained over the past six years to create Blockset, a robust, reliable, and strategic B2B offering for developers and enterprises. Blockset is enabling banks and other major financial institutions to interface and build with crypto assets at light speed. See just how simple it is by visiting Blockset.com and sign up for a free account today. I kind of want to explore what that timeline looks like for an exchange-traded product. You mentioned this is something that some of the regulators have been concerned about this idea of either, you know, manipulation or volatility, but surely we have markets that have historically been manipulated and volatile. So why do you think crypto might be different? And then this is my second loaded question for you, but then how do we, we sort of set the path to then have an ETF in the next year or so? Well, I'll start with the second part of that question, because I think that one is a bit easier to talk about. The, the path to any sort of product that would open this, this asset class up to a, a broader investment community, there has to be empirical data that the regulators can really buy into. They can really see that their concerns are um, answered. And that, that's going to take a few voices across the system to, to make that case. And anytime we have the ability to inform that conversation with our own analysis, you know, we ought to be doing that. So I think that that's the first thing we need to do is, is keep in front of those key decision makers in this space and continue to try to provide the, the analysis that they are they're really asking for and the data 
uh, we can offer up to them as as proof of the the arguments that that we might be making in that space. So I think it's a lot of voices continuing on the same path, but adding a bit of more empirical analysis. Uh, and we get more of that as the as this market matures. That data becomes much more available, and um, we should produce that uh, for the the benefit of everyone. And why is crypto different? Well, I think you know if you think about uh, you know I'll go back to volatility as an asset class when SIBO you know, rolled out the VIX years ago, there was very few people who really understood, you know, what that was about and if they could trust it. And it took many, many, many years for people to to wrap their heads around that and to even think about how to include volatility as a component. So, you know, crypto is a bit different just because it is is coming from a real non-regulated space right now. But I don't think that the path of crypto ultimately is going to you know, be something that isn't overcomable. Like as soon as the regulators give us some guidance on what we should expect and and, and bless it in, in turn, I think it will proceed like most other asset classes and find, a, you know, a, a home in our capital market framework that we understand and know today for other things that we trade. There's certainly a lot of pent-up demand, at least on the issuer side, for sure. to see a, a Bitcoin ETF or crypto ETF come to market. With with the initiative by SIBO, and again, you're not necessarily alone, there are tons of firms out there that are, are trying to set this foundation. We have, to a degree, you know, the right structure for products based on a more sound methodology. Um, and that can range from exchange traded notes to ETFs. And with with better data, we have more transparency, which which could then mollify some of the concerns of regulators. But I'm curious, since announcing this, you know, new business in a sense, have you seen on the issuer side an increase in interest? Are they reaching out? Or, or are you guys working with new clients that might be getting ready to introduce or create their own indice and then tradable product on top of that indice? There definitely has, as you said, we should start with, there is pent up demand from the issuers in this space. And we, we all understand that. And the conversations that happen with various divisions and departments at SIBO at with issuers, uh, you know, are, are ongoing and are robust. I would say the announcement did spark a lot of inquiries and people wanting to know what, what we're doing and, and, and so it did light a fire under some conversations and those those are ongoing. But, you know, I don't I don't know, you know, how much to talk about. It's it's, it's still we're really we're really just waiting for the regulators to give some some visibility on this. So there's really not a ton we can do um, outside of, of being able to maybe participate more in the conversations because we're mm -hmm. going to have some some data available. So let's say, um, you know, SEC, we have a a new chairman upcoming, Gary Gensler. That's something that some folks are viewing as a, a bullish move forward to some degree. I think some people associate him with being a bit more pro-crypto, at least relative to our former SEC chairman. So, Yeah, I think that is the speculation right now, Frank. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's remember, he hasn't been officially uh, confirmed for the position. Right. But I, I think you're right. The sentiment is overall that he would be good for uh, the crypto market. So, you know, that remains to be seen. So let's say, you know, he gets confirmed into that seat and then he decides that 
you know, we should have Bitcoin ETF products or he thinks that, you know, now is the right time. What is that? What is that process going to look like from CBOEC? You know, you get the green light, then what happens? How does that process work? That process typically, anytime someone is looking to create uh, an ETF and list it on an exchange, they're definitely in in talks with uh, our ETF listings team headed by Laura Morrison. And, and she's, you know, she and her team are in constant conversations with issuers on many different ideas and so forth. So that would be conversations that would be happening where the ETF gets listed, et cetera. We would, from my team, would be tapped to build the underlying index that the tradable product or ETF would be linked to. So that's that's where we would get involved in terms of what is the issuer thinking as the, the details and all of the nuances that come on what is going to be the, the IP behind the ETF. And, and so we would get involved in calculating that, that specific index. But that's really the cart before the horse at this particular point, because we, you know, we're, we're a bit far away from probably that happening. How far away do you think? Just Yeah, I, you know, it seems, I have no idea. It, it feels like it could be this year simply because you know, the asset class has gotten so much attention and there's so much buzz about it. And, you know, one can make the argument that it should be opened up more to, you know, people who are trying to access this asset in their 401ks, et cetera. I, I just don't really have a feel for it. And, and one thing that you can't know is what's going to be the priority for the regulators with everything else happening and with this change of administration. Really? You can't know when they're going to take this particular issue on and actually, you know, roll up their sleeves and look at it. So it's it's so tough to say. I mean, my fingers are crossed that it would be maybe later this year, but it's really just a stab in the dark. I have no idea. If we don't get any sort of clarity on the regulatory front, what does that mean then for this upstart business you're trying to get off the ground here? It really has no impact in terms of our objective to bring you know, these data points into uh, into our product suite. We recognize that many of our current clients who are accessing the more traditional capital markets and using our tools to do so will benefit from having an additional data point that they can uh, use as they're accessing, you know, the crypto markets. Um, and so we're going to march on with creating the data and derive products and analytics on this data that our clients can use. We know that the, the crossover is inevitable between those that are accessing equities and options markets and futures markets right now into the digital asset space. And, and, and we're going to be there to deliver those key analytic tools to help them know what their portfolio looks like and the risk around that portfolio, even if it includes a digital asset component. What has that overlap look like? The sophisticated players that are accessing SIBO's markets are definitely involved in the crypto space. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. To what degree, like if we were to sort of maybe try to quantify it. Well, in the liquidity provider space, I think you'd have to assume that because of their sophistication, there's high uptake in the crypto markets from, from those types of players. And then from the sophisticated prop shop trading, to the extent that they're not you know, unilateral on one asset class, they're definitely diving in to see what opportunity is available to them in the crypto space. And the retail traders, as you know, retail trading in the options market this past year and continuing in this year, it looks to be very robust. And so retail traders are, you know, really driving a lot of the markets and I think will continue to be interested both in the traditional equities and, and options space and also this space. And eventually those 
those traders will find each other's worlds as well. Yeah. I think, you know, for some reason, or well, I guess there's probably several reasons, the liquidity providers, the trading shops have been the first to dive into this market, probably just given the fact that they're not necessarily dealing with outside capital and, you know, at the end of the day, playing with volatility is something that they're they're fairly used to, and it's where they make most of their money. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see if in the next few years we'll we'll see this market open up to folks who are a bit more conservative. Um, are you seeing any indication of that? I definitely think that uh, if you're talking more like the registered investment advisor community. Sure. I think they have, I I can't say firsthand, this is all secondhand as I'm not really in that trench, but I I can't imagine that they are getting uh, a lot of questions about uh, Bitcoin in particular, but a lot of questions about should they be accessing uh, this this asset class and what part of a portfolio does it make sense? And and I feel like the overall, the registered investment advisor community is is probably wanting some answers here uh, and wanting to be able to talk more intelligently to their clients about it. And there are definitely RAs who are super sophisticated and are well-versed in this in this space. But many more, I think, would welcome the chance to uh, learn more and to uh, also participate more for the benefit of their clients. There's one Australian-based firm that I know of and something that LedgerX has been looking at as well, a VIX-like product in crypto. Many folks kind of say, you know, a lot of what you can do with with that type of product, you can do with just vanilla options. I don't know the degree to which you've kind of dove into that, you know, or explored that type of product, but I'd I'd be curious just what you're hearing and and where you think maybe that could be additive to the market versus what we're seeing with the options. I think, you know, the, the, the VIX complex is, you know, very key to what SIBO brought to the marketplace. And an understanding around volatility was largely done by SIBO's efforts in the education and, and, and um, trading communities. The idea that there would be a VIX on crypto makes absolute sense, and it would be a, a trusted calculation. Knowing volatility in an asset class is hugely important for for traders. Like I mentioned, when I was you know, back in the, in the pits early days of Internet 1.0 with those crazy stocks like Net, Netscape and DoubleClick. Yeah. Uh, it would have been really helpful to, to really have a better handle on the volatility of those emerging Internet stocks at that time. And it was super difficult to participate and price them correctly without that. So any, uh, any enhancements to understand the volatility of a certain space, a certain asset, a certain underlying is, is definitely valuable. That's super interesting. So like, how do you, how do you see a product like that coming to market? Do we need an ETF first? Like, is, is this something that maybe is at the bottom of the priority list? Just curious how something like that might come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, the, as you know, the VIX calculation is, is done on a strip of SPX derivative contracts. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to be really thoughtful about what derivatives you were using in that calculation such that it would have such high integrity to keep the VIX brand where it is today, which is to say the probably uh, most regarded volatility calculation uh, out there. And we've extended the VIX calculation to partners in different countries. We have a Japanese VIX, we have a Mexican VIX. And, Mm -hmm. And so the idea of a VIX for digital assets makes absolute sense. How we'll actually get there, you have to have the options first. So that's, that's known. 
you do have to have the derivatives contracts. Um, so you will have to see how, you know, SIBO approaches that. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the path will be, only the recognition that it would be important and additive for the ecosystem to have a volatility calculation on digital assets. Super interesting. And I love how you're kind of bringing in the the history there, because I think, you know, so often it, it rhymes, especially in in trading. I, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of the hour, and this has been, I think, something that will edify so many of our listeners. Often data goes unnoticed. I mean, we, we notice when the price gets out of whack and when, you know, we notice it trading on one venue um, differently from another, but just the work that goes into ensuring that the the data we see in the market is, you know, reflective of what the actual market is, is vital. And, and, you know, again, something that I think goes unnoticed to a degree is, is there anything about, you know, this market, especially over the past few weeks that has maybe informed or added to the plans at CBOE as it pertains to digital assets? It hasn't, it hasn't really informed or changed any, any plans. I think what it's done is just highlight the growing interest and participation in this asset class. You cannot escape the price trajectory in these assets over the past month and just the amount of interest in it. And everyone's scrambling to to learn and to participate and to find solutions. And it's almost so difficult to keep up with everything that's happening in this space. So, you know, we're just going to keep our focus on delivering these great data sets and, and analytics. And as you said, Frank, sometimes they're invisible. We're not out there to be visible necessarily. We're out there to basically help people navigate this market uh, with, uh, with data uh, that has integrity. Uh, so it's super helpful to people who are participating. I think that's our best contribution that we can make at this particular juncture. Well, hopefully this uh, show will help evangelize folks on the importance of data and not just make them think that I'm a giant nerd. But we should have <laughs> You're not a nerd, Frank. Kathy Clay at CBOE Global Markets. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And we'll be in touch as you continue down this journey. Thanks so much. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Scoop. If you liked the episode, follow us on Twitter at The Scoop Pod for updates about future episodes and show highlights from previous episodes. If you really liked this episode, or even if you hated it, please let us know and leave a review where you prefer to listen to podcasts. But, and this is the most important thing, folks, if you like this show, please share it. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, and beyond, and let us know what you want to hear in the future from future guests. We're here to serve you, the audience. Follow us on Twitter, download the episode, share the episode, and we'll hear from you next time.